0: This is Blaine Scully. Welcome to the Captain's Code. Each week, we talk with the leaders of high-performance teams about the role they play in making a culture of excellence possible. Jack Clark is the head coach of the University of California varsity rugby team and former head coach of the U.S. national team. Now entering into his 37th year as coach, Coach Clark has compiled a 671-95-5 overall record a record unmatched in collegiate rugby history. He has led the Cal Bear rugby program to win 29 national championships. Also, a former U.S. national team player and rugby and football standout at Cal, Coach Clark was honored as one of Cal's 10 most influential sport figures of the 20th century and inducted into the U.S. Rugby Hall of Fame. His ability to build championship teams has made Coach Clark a highly sought after speaker, mentor, and advisor to collegiate coaches across sports as well as to CEOs and executive audiences. Coach, um, thanks so much for coming on this podcast. It's great to be home here at Cal. Everything I've learned here has been the foundation of not only my professional and international rugby career, but but my life as a as a young man in the world. So I just want to extend that thank you to you, and and not speak not only for myself, but for every young man who's kind of come through this this Doc Hudson Fieldhouse and, and played on a Rugby Field and, and attended the University of California. So I'm um, just incredibly grateful to be here with you and and have our conversation and appreciate your ongoing mentorship. Welcome home. First place to start, I guess, is is just a little bit of a background on, on, on you and the path of where you are and um, if you could kind of just share that a little bit.
1: Well, I began um, as a student here in the mid-70s as a football player and and uh, back in those days, somebody would tap you on the shoulder when football season was over and say, come on, time to go play rugby. And that person for me was my best friend still today, Rick Bailey. So I began coaching pretty young after an injury, playing the game and uh, took the game away from me and uh, started coaching in 80, uh, 1982. And uh, as an assistant coach and became the head coach in 84. And here we are today could you walk us through a
0: little bit of that sort of transition cuz i mean you had a i think a unique experience where you know, blended football and rugby as a as a as a collegiate athlete and then you know, pretty unique experience as well representing the united states and then uh, also the world 15 in in farms park as well so uh, could you kind of talk a little bit around your athletic career and and maybe where you started to to get the idea of you know maybe coaching is 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 something for me
1: you know the the connections to you know American football and and American rugby um, really began and I think the I mean obviously you know we've been playing here since 1882 so I mean rugby has a has a long tradition and you know you can You know, this university was well represented in in the Olympic gold medals of 20 and 24. And there was a bit of a renaissance of American rugby uh, on college campuses in what is kind of the, you know, late 60s. And if you think about that time, I mean, it's it's a bit counterculture. You know, it might have been that football players were tired of having, you know, 12 football coaches with whistles up their six, you know, and... uh, and they gravitated, for whatever reason, uh, certainly across the country, but it really particularly I think here on the West Coast, they, 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 they gravitated to playing rugby in the springtime. It's this really unique period of time where you see a, you know, a, a sampling of America's best athletes also playing rugby. And. Um, we've come a long way. Things have improved quite a bit in rugby, but I don't know that we're as athletic today as probably we were then. You know, it's it's a bygone era is what it was. But I was really happy to have uh, been an athlete in that period of time where you could play two sports and that so many football players, you know, also played rugby. I think I always knew I wanted to coach. Um, I, I started off in... In the financial services industry, and you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I like business. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a team of people. I was on a team. I led a team. It's um, it's rewarding in a lot of ways. Certainly financially rewarding. But it lacked the significance i think of of what I was really looking for and and I would for ten years I would rip off my necktie and i 'd rush rush over to the university and and coach the rugby team um, and and then it just became clear to me that that 's really what I should be doing it 's really what I wanted to do and uh, I would uh, try to make a life of it and so in the early nineties i I went full time uh, here at the university and uh and soon after, uh, received the appointment to coach the U.S. team, and you know, began a decade there. But prior to that, I was coaching representative with the Collegiate All-American team. There, there, there wasn't, um you know, there wasn't an All-American team. We at that point in time, we had to, we had to found the team, and it, it is, it has been a real privilege. Is, is how it kind of feels, you know, coaching here at Cal, and I mean, any time that you you get a chance to work with somebody and get them from where they are to where they want to be. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a really rich feeling.
0: Why do you think you ended up choosing rugby as far as we're coaching? Because obviously you had a high level playing experience as a football player as well. And and then, you know, even um, some NFL experience. And and why do you think rugby was was your calling? Yeah,
1: it's an attractive game. You know, it's not a game for everybody. you know, as you well know, it really does take a melting pot of skills uh, to play the game and play the game well, and uh, you know that includes decision making. And uh, it um, and and I I was attractive to the kind of the global nature of the game. You know, that's you know we're we're funny as Americans. You know, Tampa plays Oakland, and we call it the World Championship in football and. The rest of the world is just scratching their head. I'm sure, right? You know, you're the ones that play that game. What do you mean it's the world championship? Um, so I always like the mark-to-market aspect of a global game that you could, uh, you know, test yourself on a, you know, on a, on a larger scale. First time I played rugby, I won. This is the f- this is the most fun game I've ever played, and uh, and I suppose, you know, just fell in love with the game.
0: So you make the transition from. Athlete and then in the business world, and then back to coaching, um, coaching alongside your former rugby coach and coach Anderson. And then you also played for a legendary coach at Cal Football with coach Mike White. And who remembers coming, you invited to come speak to us when I was a junior here at Cal. Can you kind of talk about sort of your transition into back into the coaching and then your sort of development of? what would become your eventual you know, framework on how you view teams and how you view athletics and how you view the sport as, as this development tool in addition to doing something really purposeful?
1: It's a blessing to have good coaches in your life. And I, I, like, I won the lottery in that, right? It, it started really in youth sports where, you know, I found these really caring people that um, wanted to help Right. And they believed in you. And uh, and God knows we all need more of that. Right. And and, uh, and that that continued right on through high school. So, you know, when I said earlier, you know, I, I think I always wanted to coach. I mean, it was really based on those individuals. Um, you know, their 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 mentorship uh, was was just so important to me in my life. That, you know, you want to emulate that. I guess I always knew that that's, that's really what I wanted to do. And I think it was based on those people that, that I, you know, now call my friends, right? And they were, they're my coaches. And I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to keep all these people in my life now. There has to be a higher purpose to what we're doing other than, you know, chasing shiny goblets for the showcase, right? I mean, as much as we all want to be at the top of the podium, we want to win. Um, I mean, sport to me was always more than that, right? I mean, it was a chance to to have teamship in your life. You know, the people who really care about that you cared about them, and you you wanted to support and do what you could for them, and and all of the 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 real lessons I think in my life, you know, came from that arena. You know, that you know I've kind of built a life, if you will, on on those values, and it took me a while. I mean, I I wasn't. I don't know that I went into coaching saying, hey, listen, here's how it's going to be. I mean, it's been like this really fabulous laboratory to go to work in every day and you you know, you learn a lot. You, you know, the guy, you know, the, you know, the players you coach teach you a lot. You know, you get to observe and trial things, and, 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 and when it works, you know why it worked, and then you want to replicate that for future teams. And then, you know, you flash forward now a few decades, and, and, yeah, I mean, the whole culture um, of of what we do here organizationally, you know, becomes really important, and if you believe like I do that, you know, we're, we're not going to solve any of the big problems in life, you know, with some bright person, really, you know, we're not going to tackle disease and poverty and the environment and just rip through the, you know, all the big issues. It's going to be groups of people that have really pointed their nose in the same direction and go, you know, through collaboration, go get, go tackle those big problems. And and I've always believed that our players here, you know, receiving a PhD in team, you know, they're they're really learning some proprietary skills around team that you know they'll carry with them in their families and in their communities and in their workplaces.
0: How did you start to identify the values that the team will be built on? I listened to podcasts that you actually turned me on to and talked about. Coach P. Carroll, and he identified, well, competition is how one of the values of, of we're going to have as a team. And Steve Kerr, well, we're going to identify joy of, in, in our experience as basketball players and as part of this organization as a key value. So when you, when you kind of looked at how you think about Cal rugby as a team and the values that are going to make up, um, this 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 group of men. You know, how, how did you how did you think about that? How did you how you kind of boil it down to like this is how I want my team to look, and this is yeah. the values I wanted to reflect.
1: I, I mean, trial and error. I mean, is 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 the real answer, right? I mean, uh, I can I can only imagine in the early '80s what I might must have been saying, like, hurry up and try harder, you know. I, I and but you learn you learn over time. I just put into words. You know what I saw um us being at our best, which was grateful for everything, entitled to nothing and it it became the mindset right of who we are um you know there's a Latin phrase that's over the doorway into this room that roughly translates into be known by your deeds. There's something very powerful about that to me, you know that you know I mean players today can can talk as well as as any player ever has um, been able to, right? They can explain why and make an excuse or, or give a rationale or, but at some point, you know, we have to be known by what we do. And, uh, and that's what we don't do, what we do, what we say, what our acts are. It took some time to really realize that in order to have a value system, we have to, you know, boxcar a bunch of values together, things that we really believe in, and then we have to process all of our transactions through that system. So that when, you know, we're having human transactions with, within the team or even outside the team, that, that we process them through those values. So we're making value based, um, decisions and, and having value-based transactions. And that's, that's as well as the, the business of the team, the administration of the team as well. We want all of those transactions to re- to represent us. And, uh, so it, 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 it took a while. I mean, I have an interest in organizational behavior, so it, it was, it, all of this wasn't, um, foreign to me. And, uh, you know, I have an interest in it. I have an interest in, in people that are, um, you know professionals in the in this f- field of endeavor and so you you know you read you study you learn and uh and you mostly you know grab what's what's right about the team and then it's kind of packaged and this is kind of who we are now and we we, we don't change our core values much but you know we think about them differently as as time goes on you know every team is a little bit different and unique um but we're, we're trying to live up to that set of values all the time
0: so you have the values and then you know you always say something's really important is that we actually speak the same language so the development of you know some of the definitions and just the vocabulary so we we kind of know and understand
1: what we're what we're saying to each other typically within within technical purposes you know teams use a nomenclature that is that is all uh, exact and very similar, and uh, that allows us to to communicate well with each other technically. But we don't often do that, you know, um, from a value standpoint, and uh, and from an organizational, or a culture standpoint. And it's pretty powerful to do so, you know. Um, it occurred to me that uh, I was in groups of people that were always using terms like leadership all the time, you know, and it's like and I, I start thinking about it, well, if I asked 10 people in the room that just use that term, you know, we'd probably get 10 different definitions for leadership. They'd all be correct, probably. You know, you, it wouldn't be something you would necessarily disagree with, but they'd be different. But yet, we're all using terms like that as if um, we all have the same definition. So, we just decided to create a glossary for something like leadership. You know, we say it's an ability. Um, the ability to make those around you better and more productive. You know, we've We've taken it away from uh, authority, you know? We've taken it away from rank. Um, it's not something the captain just has, the seniors just have, the coach just has. It's an ability that everybody on the team can have. And it's, it's a pretty powerful concept to think about it that way. And, and that doesn't suggest that I don't believe in chain of command, because I do. Um, uh, it just means that why, why would chain of command hijack leadership? Um, and make so many other people, I guess, followers, right? And uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't ring true to me as, as being a very powerful culture. It just became important that within the architecture of culture that we, we, had, we didn't just have a technical glossary, we had one for what we really believed in culturally.
0: So the glossary then kind of defines and informs you know the building of this idea of a meritocracy in this culture that is about performance and you know developing the performance culture that exactly your point is spectrum general known by your deeds that is effectively what we're trying to do here
1: right right i mean merit something we believe in as well i mean it there there's something very powerful about um not falling to seniority or what you did last year or last season. I mean, we, we, that's important, right? I, I mean, I, I think the body of your work is important, but in order, you know, for it to be a real currency, you know, it needs to be monetized into performance. So your bill, you know, your great last few seasons, um, that, that's your intellectual property. You know, you have to, you've got to find a way to monetize that going forward for your own success. And I think a lot of times it, it stands alone, you know, seniority stands alone and, and we don't want that. We, we'd rather have, if you want your voice to resonate on our team, it's about what you're doing right now. Um, I reckon having potential is a good thing. (laughs) Not having potential wouldn't be very good. And, and, and having a lot of experience is a good thing, but, we ought to really celebrate what people are doing right now and, and what they're getting done. And, and again, you know, with merit, there's, there's something about no one, no one cares what color your skin is and no one cares, you know, who you pray to and who you don't pray to and who your daddy is. And man, it's what you can do right now. And there's something really, I mean, that is the meritocracies that you, that that you reference. And there's something powerful about that.
0: As a, you know concept, this idea of conditional versus unconditional, which you always kind of bring up i mean that is that is
1: it maybe it may 's just semantics, right, but um, it seemed like every time I grabbed the newspaper, there was a sports team calling themselves a family and and i I think I knew what they meant. I mean I think what they meant was they they really care about each other and and I think that 's pretty important to becoming a good team, really really caring about each other, but you know, family's kind of unconditional, right? I mean, you know, you can, you, you can fall pretty short of your best and your family still loves you. And that's really not how high performance teams operate. Um, I think they do care about each other. So I think that part of family is applicable, but um, there's a lot of conditions. It's not unconditional. I mean, high performance teams, they roll a certain way. This is how we operate, And if you want to stay there, you know, that's how you operate or you need to separate. And, you know, whether it's sports teams or or whether it's really high performing shops in any industry, um, I I think what you find is a lot of conditions. So, yeah, we 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 like to say it's conditional around here and we're not ashamed of that. Um, But we do care about each other. But we don't throw around the word family very much.
0: And, you know, kind of on this idea of we have all this architecture now that informs how we do or what we're doing, you know, how, how, how do we grade what we're doing and are we measuring up? Where are we today, whether it's training or in competition? You know, how, how does that process look right for a, for, a, for a Cal rugby team?
1: You know, there's got to be some honest audit of everything that you're doing. Um, some things you can measure um, week to week. Day to day, other things maybe are best at the end of the season, but I, there, there's an audit process uh, where where we need to um, be reflective of what we're doing, decide you know what's really working and how do we leverage it, what do we need to immediately pivot away from, and then what bits are inconclusive, and that we have to you know use our gut and our best judgment to decide whether it's a pivot or whether we double down. I like to think that a, a lot of our Notational analysis that we do technically tracks back to what we believe in by way of our culture and our values. Um, you know, I believe that we're looking for opportunities to see guys that are that are getting better. You know, we believe in constant performance improvement, and and we're we're always trying to come back to that, and and make sure when we get that right, when guys aren't improving, that we we take a moment to celebrate that, to make sure that everyone knows, you know, that's where the love goes.
0: And then this idea of two t- two types of teams, right? You mentioned constant performance improvement, you know, and, and the measuring of that and the identification of okay, where are we are, where are we
1: today? We, we typically play on a Saturday, and then on a Sunday we're in the meeting room. You know, it's med check, regen, and then straight into the longest meeting of the week. And I think if you if you observe that meeting room, you wouldn't know whether we won or lost right you 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 wouldn't know whether you know we won by thirty or we lost by thirty because the the meeting isn't really about the result it's really about our performance and and there is something i mean it's kind of old school that you, you know your your results track your performance it's not the other way around right it's not that you get your results right and then your performance is good it, and everyone wants to win, and we obviously want to win. Um, but what we have to get right is our performance. And no one ever talks about that kind of stuff. But I, I think if you study it, I think that's that's the point. There, there are teams that are getting better and there are teams that are not. And there's not much in between. You know, that's the two kinds of teams. And it's, it seems rough, right? It seems like if you're, if you have been doing really well for a month into the season, that you should be able to get off the mountain at some point and kind of wander around for a week in some plateau. But it's not the case. You're getting better, you're getting worse. And, uh, that, that reality is, is, um, is strong with us. I mean, and, and so there is a lot of urgency around, let's just, let's just improve. If that means we get a victory, great, but let's just get better.
0: Can you touch a little bit on the idea of, you know, I just finished your 36th season, but only the sixth head coach in Cal rugby history, which is pretty incredible given the duration of, of, of Cal, Cal rugby as a, as a, as the oldest sport on campus. You know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the, the tough balancing act between, you know, having this really rich cultural legacy um, and, and history, but at the same time being able to you know, innovate and adapt and, and evolve as, as times and you know, frankly as young people do.
1: I, I think there's something inside all of us that, that we want to connect to something bigger than ourselves. Um, and I, I, I would start with that premise. You know, sometimes that's a bit of a burden. Right. I mean Cal Cal Rugby's been a good team for a long time. And so might the new players feel some of that burden? I, I think that they do. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily all that positive. But I also think they feel like they stand on the shoulders of people that went before them and we have to remember the past to the present. They they have to have a you know, a good understanding of, of the people that went before them. And the same time, when I get into an alumni event, I've got to, I've got to remember the today to them. They have to understand that the young men we're coaching are, are just like them and that they're putting everything that they have into representing this university and this rugby program and, and their teammates and their families and, and it means the world to them. And, and so, you know, I, I'm a custodian of all of that kind of mess. <laughs> and, and I've, you know, it's our job as, as a staff to, um, to find that fine line to where you, you know, the people before you tried their guts out. You know, they were brave at the right time and they put everything they had into this. And, and we have to do the same thing that doesn 't mean we have to win every time, but we have to give it everything we have, and if we do that we we honor all of that and uh, so yeah and i we 're not the only you know um, team or franchise in sport that has that has the blessing of that burden right, and it really is uh, you know, a blessing. I suppose it's easier if you, you know, if you're on a team that's never really won anything, and um, you're going to be the first team that have ever won something. And you know, I suppose that's a unique experience as well. This is different, and uh, uh, and apart from that, but I think it's it's every bit as rewarding. I think everything that I've done as a professional international athlete um,
0: is. Based on the accumulation of the, the influence and investment of people like yourself who've put into me as, as a young person. And, and, um, you know, you're a hero of mine and, and really grateful to share this time with you. And, and, uh, thanks again for, for sharing your story. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you. As Coach Clark shared, having a clear value system enables high-performing teams to be better and more effective because it's the lens through which every decision is made. To communicate those values, you need to have a common language. Creating a shared nomenclature that goes beyond the business and into the heart of the organization's values is key to building culture. To build a performance culture, Coach Clark believes in the power of meritocracy. Yes, it's important to have a body of work on past performance to draw from but it's more important to celebrate what people are getting done right now in rewarding that growth mindset. Our teams a family? Good teams care about each other, like family, but great teams care about one another and also consistently challenge each other to pursue excellence. And finally, it's just as important to measure your success. Have an honest thought process where you can be reflective of, about what you're doing. Capture what's working well and what needs work, making sure it consistently aligns with your team's core value system.